Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Hello and welcome back if you're a regular listener to the show. A very warm welcome if you're a first-time listener. This podcast has been created to help leaders in higher education. My aim is to create a community of listeners who can learn and grow together. To do this, I need your help. The more people that download, subscribe, rate and review this show, the more the podcast algorithms will ensure it pops up across the globe. I love the community we have created so far and together with your help, we can encourage even more people to join us. Today, we're going to be diving deep into the world of serenity and inner peace. My guest is an international speaker and expert on self-esteem, serenity, motivation, engagement, and inner peace. He is founder and director of the Institute for the Development of Potential in Austria. And his current programs include Trusting the Flow of Life and Serenity in Leadership. They provide practical and simple approaches in how to lead yourself and others when change is imminent and unavoidable. I'm so happy he has agreed to come on the show so that we can learn more about the work that he's doing. So please welcome Martin Laukoschnik. Hi, Martin. How are you? Hi, Mel. What a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that you are here and I cannot wait to dive into this subject because in some ways it's a bit of a mind fuzz. Those two words, serenity, leadership, can they really go together? But that's something we'll (laughs) we'll explore. But maybe before we start that, it would be great to hear about your journey and how you've ended up in this space. Well, uh, where do I start? Since since an early age in my my youth, uh, I was I was always interested what makes people tick. Like, you know, we, we live our life on an average emotional range, uh, and for some that is exhilaration, and for some it's just boredom, and and for others it's constant frustration and resignation. Uh, so we all have that, but then life happens, and it throws us off track. And down we go into the ditch of, of despair and de- depression. Or, and some people actually manage to get out of the rut within like hours or maybe some days. And others duck down there for weeks and months on end. And so how is that? I, I was always fascinated by that. And well, to, to that came that in, from, my, from my parents in, in our library at home, we had a large array of of philosophical and spiritual books. And in my youth, I was not not an avid reader. I was a voracious reader. I mean, anything that had 
two covers ha had to be read. And I think I was a member of three libraries at one time, at the same time. So at one point then my father was in sales uh, and a traveling salesman and, and he read those books, The Power of Positive Thinking, Dr. Joseph Murphy and all that. And I picked them up and looked, short little stories, people changed their thinking and everything changed. Interesting. If it was that simple. Uh, but that piqued my interest, so I started diving into this and uh, pretty quickly I had to find out, yes, it does work sometimes. And no, it doesn't work quite some other times. And so why? That was the big question then. And, and so I really dove deep into, into this library. And I don't know many people who at age 17 read the Bhagavad Gita and, and stuff like that. So, was, so there, there was some sort of really deep interest in those philosophical topics there. And I then said that I wanted to study archaeology at an early age, uh, which then changed because I realized that actually I don't want to dig up any, any old pieces of a tray or, or a cup or whatever. But I was interested in the knowledge of those old people and the philosophy. And, and so when I graduated from, from business school, I changed my, my university studies to, to go into that direction. Um, in business school, I didn't learn Latin, so I couldn't enroll in philosophy class because you had to redo Latin, and I was not really too keen on that. And so I then decided that, okay, if there is no study that I can do, I have to create a study that I can do. So I submitted a study, uh, what they call it, Studio Irregulare. So it's, it's an irregular study. I designed my own course, basically, uh, of philosophy and Indology and Tibetology. And it was accepted, actually. So I started studying that in Vienna University. And then I met a lady. She said, ah, but you know that actually this study here, that's Buddhism in disguise. This is a philological study, not a philosophical study, because they were studying the language by using the, the philosophical texts. If you really want to know, then you have to go to India, to this institute for Buddhist philosophy run by Buddhist monk scholars. Then you get it from the source. And I was like barely 20 at that time. I was like, no. You have to see, I was really naive at that point of time. My, all my experience of traveling abroad was going with my family to Italy for summer holidays. Once, when I was six years old, we went to the Czech Republic when still the Iron Curtain was there. And uh, that was a pretty traumatic experience to experience this oppression firsthand. And then I had a, a graduation trip to Greece, but that was it. And I'll go to India for half a year. And I was like, no way. I, I'm not doing that. But then, you know, there was a little bug in my ear. And that bug said, if you really want to know, go away. If you really want to know, Go away if you really want to know. Damn it. So I picked up the phone, called uh, the, the administrator of the institute, said, okay, send me this bloody form and I'll go. Yeah. So I booked a, a non-refundable, non-changeable ticket six months out, flew to Delhi. And so many stories I could tell you about this. But long story short, I spent there all in all three years living in India. And the country is overwhelming to say it slightly and absolutely adorable i absolutely love it it's my second home country even even years after i lived in india i saw something on tv about india and i got so homesick you know really with jeff Payne and everything so it was an amazing amazing time 
And so that led me into that arena. And as they always say, we understand life only in hindsight, looking back. And, and so the, the Buddhist studies were sort of like very interesting, very fascinating, and very dry. So Buddhist philosophy, you have to see in old India, when two masters discussed stuff, then one could prove a wrong viewpoint of the other. So the other one had to convert to the belief of the other. So let's say the, the Pope uh, discusses with whoever is head of the, the Anglican church, yep. like spiritual head. I know that the king is actually the head of the church, but yep. like in a spiritual sense. And the Pope wins the discussion. So all of England is Catholic. There were implications to this, right? Yeah. So, and then when you read that now, nowadays, you read that, I'm like, come on, we discussed this already five times. No, it's just from a slightly different viewpoint so that there's for sure no loophole where you can get. And I was like, hmm, okay. In, in, in our society, our school system teaches us abstract thinking. And that didn't go together so well. So I had this, hmm, I need some inspiration. I need something for the soul. And this outcry to the universe must have been pretty strong because about three weeks later, I was in a bookstore in New Delhi and literally a book dropped to my feet. And I picked it up and it said, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Volume 1. And that was 1993, I believe. Uh, and it was the first book, the first volume of what became the Chicken Soup for the Soul Empire with like billions of books in print. And I read this and uh, oh, exactly what the doctor ordered inspiration, how people overcame challenges. And so, so read it all at once, uh, heavy emotional damage by overwhelming touchiness. So th that was posed some other problems than uh, down the road, but still absolutely fascinating. So that brought Jack Canfield on the radar. And I said, I want to meet that guy. That was the, the beginning of the internet. So I started stalking, subscribed to his newsletter and bought some of his books, some of his audio programs. And in that audio program, he said, if you want to be a speaker, you have to be in the National Speakers Association. And I was like, hmm, National Speakers Association, America, me, Austria, between Atlantic Ocean. Not the most practical. So I said, yeah, okay, maybe not, not right now. Yeah. So... And then the, the opportunity arose, actually, at the beginning of 2005, we, we run a company that teaches English to children as a, on a mother tongue approach, an immersion technique, where we uh, work a lot with positive reinforcement. Because even adult students, you cannot teach too well by pushing them and forcing them. And you certainly cannot do this with three-year-olds. They need to want to be engaged, to, to be involved in things. And so that's why the, the methodology is a lot about positive reinforcement. And that brought us to an educational conference in the UK. And one of the keynote speakers there was Jack Hemphill. It was a self-esteem conference. And so we thought, okay, we've got to go there. And then... You know, this matter of self-esteem has always been very dear to my heart because I think so many problems in our society would actually totally go away if we taught those principles already to kids. Because we all grow up, we all experience a certain amount of crap in our lives, and then we have to go to therapy or coaching or whatever and deal with it. If we already had the necessary foundation for not even to fall into that trap, then how would society look nowadays? totally different. And so this issue of self-esteem was, was very dear to my heart. 
And yet the Austrian government was very reluctant to give me money. So for some reason, I, I don't know. It's like, um, so I then uh, said to Bob Reisner, the president of the International Council for Self-Esteem, whose Austrian representatives we had become, that, you know, why don't we teach that? You know, there is not a big difference between big companies and big schools. If you say what's going on, the rest is following. That's the same in both of them. So why don't we take the self-esteem principles for schools, adapt them, teach them in companies, and with the money we earn, we fund self-esteem programs. And he said, well, it's a good idea, but I'm an education guy. I have no clue about businesses and corporations and how they work and so on. Talk to Jack. His programs are way more geared towards enterprise. So Martin, absolutely enthused, on his heel, turned around, off to Jack. Jack, idea, blah, 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 blah. So I told him the whole, whole spiel. And then he said the three words that actually changed my life. He said, here's the deal. And I was like, hmm, there's a guy with around 500 million books on the market saying to an absolute nobody from Austria, hear the little imposter syndrome there? Yeah, okay. Uh, to an absolute nobody from Austria, here's the deal. Hmm. That could be interesting. So open ears, turn brain on, listen. And he said then to me, you come to my seven-day training in Lake Las Vegas and anything you learn there, you can use for that project. And I was like, what? Just like that? Sure, just like that. I mean, that's Jack. He's very, very generous in this. And, and he's a teacher originally himself. Yeah, he was a Chicago city teacher, one of the few whites in the black community. So he's very, very up to, to empowering and encouraging people to live their full potential. And that's what I ultimately also want. So it was a match made in heaven. So this, and, and so I went to the seminar and, and learned so much, so much stuff there and uh, became friends with Jack. Actually, he became my mentor. I was the first in Europe to be allowed to teach success principles and so on. And still, by the way, the self-esteem program for schools fell flat on their nose. Right. Totally. Uh, we, we failed with the teachers' unions. Because even though we could prove that there, is, there were studies over studies that how efficient and effective and how much better it is, how better the rapport between teachers and students, less violence, less, less bullying, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. And they said, well, okay, but this is going to cost us one hour more work every week. Who's paying that? But your work will become so much easier. Hello. What did you complain to me just, just five minutes ago that students are tedious, it's nerve-wracking, you, you basically need going to rehab after a year of, of teaching. Hello, we're going to remove all that. No. So just a side note. So and then I learned actually that uh, there was the German Speakers Association that was founded in 2006. And two days before the first convention, I received a note that it existed. And I went like, hmm, that's interesting. So, yeah, with 1st of January 2007, I joined. And as this, my journey into the speaking world started off. Yeah, and the focus on serenity, actually, it came from a crisis in 2015. Because I, to a degree, I always denied my philosophical, spiritual side because businesses don't buy that, right? Yeah. Wrong, actually. But still. So this crisis in 2015, 
15 then actually led me to the point where I actually could not do anything else anymore. And I'm Mr. Control in recovery. Yeah. So note that I couldn't do anything anymore to control anything at all because life was like taking me by the collar of my shirt and putting me up against the wall and say, okay, now go control. Um, yeah. So the, the only thing I could do was surrender and say, okay, I, I have no freaking clue what to do now. Please show me where I need to be. And boy, did life show me that. That's a whole talk on its own. And within eight weeks, and it's really funny, actually, within eight weeks, I came from the deepest crisis of my life into a profound state of inner peace. And that was nerve-wracking at the time. But after all, it was just eight weeks, two months. Yeah? And it was absolutely brilliant. And so that was then sort of the calling that I needed to say, okay, we, I need to teach more about inner peace and serenity and how you can put this also in a business context, in a leadership context, in the context of just living your full potential in life. Because we in our societies, just as a last, as a last, last sentence to this, we have such a, especially under the influence of the American mindset, you need to hustle, you need to make it, fight for it, go for it, get up at 5 a.m., work, put in the work, hard work, etc. cetera. Um, you know, there is another way. There is another way. And that is by adjusting to another god of time. So this may sound strange, but let me explain. The old Greek had two kinds of gods for time. One was chronos, like our watches, the chronometer. Yeah, we are measuring time down to the 1,000th of a second. We're really good at this in our society. But they also had another god of time, and that was Kairos. And Kairos is responsible for the quality of time. What is it the right time for now? And sometimes it's the right time to, to hustle and to really engage and really do stuff and be active and proactive and everything, all of that. And sometimes it's just time to relax and lean back and chill, recover. Because how do you want to influence or empower anyone if your own power source is empty? If your battery is on low, what do you want to do for others? You cannot. And we in our society, we're especially also in, in businesses and leaderships and, and uh, also research, yeah, we are so on, going to do, 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 do all the time. No. When you talk about with people who are really up to great things that really made astonishing uh, discoveries and, and connecting the dots and all of this, and you talk to them, when did you have that? Rarely ever anyone would say, oh, we got this in a seven-hour meeting. But they said, oh, yeah, it came when I ran in the forest or when I was under the shower or I was washing my car or ironing my shirt. All sort of stuff where you disengage from cognitive activity. And then the what I like to call the intelligence of heart and gut can bubble up and actually connect the dots for you. And so if we give that enough room, it will be so much easier. Yeah, so that's Martin in a nutshell. Okay, what a fascinating, 
fascinating journey and there's so much to pick on out of of that and I suspect that people that are listening to this uh, there will be some that get it and go yeah I know that and it's a work in progress. It always is. <laughs> I yes. don't think any of us quite nail it. Still for me. <laughs> but I suspect there are also people that are going, yeah, 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 what? So, and I'm guessing that you've come across those people you must have done in, in the work that you do. So absolutely. How do you begin to take people on mm. that journey to be able to create that serenity and that inner peace? in a leadership role, which, you know, most people think, you know, you've got to be on it, like you say, day and night, and it's it's got to be stressful and, and whatever. So where's your starting point? Well, it depends. I'll have a look at where people are actually coming from. And oftentimes, how to put it gently, um, people in, in high leadership positions have a certain tendency towards competitiveness sometimes. So that also means usually that they are uh, engaged in a competitive sport, like running or soccer, football, rugby, tennis, whatever it is. And when you do any physical exercise, you know that you have to give your muscles time to recuperate, to recover. And why don't you give your mind the time to recuperate and recover? And the, the thing is, what I'm talking a lot in my programs is, is about how we form habits. And that's what I call when life gets from, from willpower to automatic to automagic. And that's because habits are something extremely useful. And we all get conditioned all the time, obviously. And I think that's something very useful if we don't have to think in the morning which end of the toothbrush needs to go into the mouth. Saves a lot of time. And you don't have to recalibrate your car each and every day to see which side is the driver's seat on and to, to get in on the right side. People say, okay, come on, this is silly. Yes, it is. Uh, but it pretty well illustrates that we do so much on habit. We do so much on autopilot. Yeah, we, we drive the way to the office and don't even realize I should have crossed three bridges and I did not notice one because we were so on autopilot. And it happened to me one day many years ago. Uh, I was on the way to the office and suddenly a little voice from the back came, um, Daddy, didn't we want to go to the kindergarten actually? And I was like, Oh, right. Yes, true, true. Because yeah. I was already so engrossed in my thoughts. And, and it's a shame to, to admit, actually, but I have forgotten, literally forgotten that my daughter was with me in the car and I was supposed to drop her off in the kindergarten before I go to the office. So just a 10 minute detour. So it was easy. But but still, it shows the power of automatic of our, of our habits that we, we drive the same way each and every every day, and it's it's so ingrained in our in our subconscious structure that we don't even don't even have to think about it anymore. The question that arises here is: Are those habits that you are nurturing actually empowering you or disempowering you? That's the key thing. Do you have the habit of coming home late in the evening and then still watching the late night news before you go to bed? 
in all honesty, stop that. Because we know from studies that the stuff that we consume or we expose ourselves to within the last hour before we go to bed will be processed by our subconscious mind several times during that night. And by then will be reinforced. And do we really want that? Do we really want to reinforce the economic pressure and then all the negativity news, the wars and, and all that was going on before we go to bed? And that's why I'm a huge, huge fan of rituals. Where are you giving your mind a conscious break? And, and of course, in Buddhism, uh, I enjoy meditation. But meditation can be as simple as just watching your breath for a minute or two. And when we already do this, we have studies proving that just sitting, breathing deeply, or not deeply, but just normally, without the usual stress and hectic that we would put into it, just breathing normally, taking a deep breath in and letting a deep breath out, for just a minute or two, already does wonders on stress hormone production, uh, breathing, blood pressure, etc., etc. All, all of those things, all very good, favorable things to support our body with so that it can cope better with stress. And there are other techniques that, that I teach. Um, I love the techniques from the energy psychology field. Uh, some may have heard of tapping, where you, as a tool to let go of stress, really easily and quickly. And, and I've been doing one-on-ones with people on, on all kinds of things. And it's just exhilarating to see that somebody is leaving like 10 centimeters taller after, after an, an hour or so, uh, because they dropped so much weight that held them back on their shoulders. So the, the reason is also that we are out of touch with ourselves. And we are so in the mind, we're so, so used to rationalize things away uh, that we don't perceive, we, don't, we are not aware of the emotional impact things have on us. We brush our teeth twice a day. So why not have some emotional cleaning or upkeep once or twice a day in a, in a short thing? And that is where your journey to serenity starts. And then it's just making it a habit. Already these little things, there are many more, but these little things already can make a dramatic difference in, in how you perceive life. And you talked about habits and going from willpower to automatic to automagic. What are automagic habits? I'm like interested. <laughs> <laughs> we have a faculty in our brains called the reticular activating system. One doesn't need to remember that. I call it the secretary general in our brain. So that, that faculty is responsible to screen all the impressions that are coming in and only let those into our conscious perception, which are deemed important. So that refers to every nerve connection in your body, every visual impression that you get, everything you hear, all the senses. And it's good that we have it because if we had to deal with all of that consciously, we would go nuts within about 0.2 seconds because it's just overwhelming. And, and so if I ask you, I always ask them in my, my talks, okay, how do you feel in your left big toe? And you go like, unless it was hurting, but normally you were not aware. Oh, it's in the shoe, it's warm, it's cold. And, you know. 
And so it is for all the nerve connections in our body. And so it is for all the, the peripheral visual impressions that we receive. And everybody knows this, this examples of selective perception. You buy a new car and suddenly half the town drives the same vehicle. And no, there was no record sales in, for that particular model in the last six weeks. And your partner or yourself get pregnant. And you see pregnant women everywhere. Yeah, because suddenly the reticular activating system said, oh, pregnant, important. And whoop, ramps up the, the filter and say, okay, everything to, to do with pregnant, we need to perceive. So what other habits could you actually develop that would help you engage the reticular activating system for you to see all the opportunities that are there, to see all the goodness that is in the world, to see all that that supports you in achieving your dreams. All these things are there, and usually we don't see them because we don't make room for it, because we're so busy on focusing on what we think is important that we actually do not allow ourselves to, to open up to the broader image and to all the support that is actually out there in the world that actually wants to help us thrive. And th that's where I come back to the news in the evening. News are geared for creating anxiety because anxiety means that you will pay attention. But it's not geared towards telling you what is all going right and what you all need to support you in achieving your dreams and your goals and your aspirations to live your full potential. And so if we were to change what we continuously focus on, we would reprogram, now very, very, very much simplified, but uh, reprogram this reticular activating system to get to the place where we then automatically perceive what supports us and where we suddenly see opportunity instead of problems and difficulties. And that is what I call where it gets automatic. So I'm taking from that, that it's about developing habits that support us and begin, I guess, with those sort of rituals that you're talking about, that you start with those. And so that actually you start to create what it is you're creating from those habits. Am I right? Have I understood that? Yes, it is, it's, it's like, like when you train for sports and you do the exercise again and again, you develop a muscle memory. Yeah. But your body knows how, how the rhythm and how the movement will unfold. And it's absolutely the same for the mind. It's absolutely the same. And I, I love to do a little exercise with people that are called the, the, the blueprint of your life. And you, you take 10, 10 terms, uh, like life is, wealth is, riches is, family is, happiness is, whatever, whatever you're focusing on right now. And you write out within a minute the three terms that pop up to mind instantly. So work is tedious and annoying and mind-boggling yeah or and then you can ask yourself okay what is the automatic habit that i have that makes those three words come up at first why is not work is fulfilling my deepest desire or fully paying into my developing my potential 
and is absolutely exhilarating and enjoying. Why are not those words coming up? And the same for any, any other major issue in your life. Like what are the three words that come up for relationships? What are the three words that come up for family, for health, for um, your well-being? Whatever it is. Because these are the automatic imprints into your subconscious that, that you are basically filtering everything you do with. I love that. That is such a cool exercise. So I'm guessing that actually then if people want to change that, they choose three words that they would like it to be. Is that the sort of process that you go through? Well, yeah, I would rather say you go out, start looking for evidence. Okay. For those three words that you want them to be. Okay. So consciously focusing in on, okay, what, what do I need to do to make it more enjoyable? Yeah. To make it more uh, nurturing, whatever it is. And then you realize, okay, maybe I'll need to change my office hours. Or um, my office, or or my job, or maybe, or sometimes it's really simple things. Um, learn how to not get that negative person in the office get to you so much. Yeah. Oftentimes, you don't really need to do the radical and drastic changes. It's some small things, and realizing that actually, okay, why is that person triggering you so much? And then you start working on that trigger. Um, there, there's a beautiful quote of, of an Indian guru. He said, who do you give the privilege to make you angry? And I love that. And I really say, okay, this is really give that privilege out very carefully. Mm. Because then you notice actually that we make ourselves angry, not the, the circumstance outside. Yeah. We allow for ourselves to become angry yeah yeah and so it's it's a lot of different things and then also rejoice active re actively rejoice in when you see somebody experiencing something that goes in the direction that you want it to because we know from studies that the the emotion of rejoicing is almost it, it, it creates the same neurological pattern in our brain as if it happened to ourselves so by, by that, we, we condition ourselves, oh, yeah, this is, this is a nice thing. And, oh, yes, oh, this looks great. I, I'm so looking forward to experiencing more of that in my life. And by that, we will then recondition our filtering system and we'll see more. Suddenly, we'll see more and more and more of those things that we actually want to have. And this is, this is what I call the, the psychological component of the law of attraction. Because... There may be a metaphysical component to it uh, and all that. We can, this is for everybody their own, but it's a clearly proven fact that our filtering system helps us perceive more on what we focus on. So let's focus on the stuff that actually gives us joy, that gives us the, the empowerment that we seek, gives us the, the fulfilling relationship that we want to have in our lives. Yeah. Who doesn't want more of that? Exactly. But what are we consciously doing for it? Yeah. Are we consciously taking measurements? Are we constantly taking steps to look for that evidence? Because it is out there. 
I suspect not for many people. I suspect their focus is on their target, their task, what they need to do next. Yeah, and also on what they don't want. Mm. And our subconscious works in images. So I don't want more stress. What remains is more stress. Yeah. So it's not that simple, but there is something to this. If we say that people don't think about a pink elephant, our subconscious works in images. Give it the images that you actually want to perceive, that you actually want to experience. Look for those images and then, and then affirm to yourself, oh, yes, this is wonderful. So great that that person gets to live that. I'm looking forward to living it myself. Yeah. And not, oh, look at the bugger. He has all the luck that I don't have. And for me, it's always going wrong and blah, blah. No, no, stop. Yeah. However, there is an important, important thing here. You know, I'm absolutely against this cancel, cancel culture. The, the worst people I have in my coaching with for tapping and, and energy psychology are the positive thinkers. Because in the tapping, to be, for it to be effective, we need to acknowledge what is there. And when I'm, apologies, goddamn frustrated, then I'm not just a little bit uncomfortable. But there is a serious emotion there. There is something real going on, and I need to acknowledge that. And then I can work on letting it go. But if I, right away, right out from the beginning, no, no, I must not think negative. I'm a, no, no, no. You push that away, then it will show up in another part of your body or somewhere else in your experience because it is there. So acknowledging what is and then letting it consciously go, making peace with it if you can, or get support and help to, to do that. That's why it's so important that we have those mental hygiene uh, habits so that we every day we let go of what doesn't serve us. Yeah. I think that's a really important point because I think some people can take this and just say, well, it's about positivity and it's not, but it is about recognizing. I think it starts with us and recognizing what is going on for us and where we're at. Exactly. And then when we do that, we then have a choice about whether we embrace Absolutely. that negativity or we say we're going to do something about it. Right. Yeah. That's that's the thing, choice. Yeah. We we need we need to choose every day new again. And we can make a choice, a new choice every day. Yeah. We don't have to stay in the same habit. And don't beat your up if you stayed in the same habit for like 20 years. Okay, that was until yesterday. And today I'm going to try to shift the super tanker of my subconscious like 0.1 degrees to the other to the new direction. And then tomorrow again 0.1 degrees. And and we'll still go in the same direction for like 25 miles, but then slowly it starts turning. And then it will become automatic that it's turning. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a mind-blowing conversation and, and you know, that, that the beauty of serenity. Changing tack slightly, but not really. <laughs> when have you ha personally had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? Uh, yeah. Depending what you define as, as dive deep. Some, sometimes it can be really the small things that you catch yourself in a moment where you were going down the old path, the old habitual path, and you catch yourself and, no, this time I'm going to do it differently. That for me can be a really profound shift in, in attitude, in perception, and so on. 
And then, of course, there are the the, the big crises. What, what's the plural of crisis in English, actually? It's crisis, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah. And we, we all experience those, well, those moments of absolute despair where we're, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And then in that moment, that's that's for me, that was one of my go-to moves in, in getting uh, out of it, actually. That was to tell my monkey mind, you know, that instance in the brain that's so good at worrying and, and building 15 different scenarios and one worse than the other. And telling the monkey mind, okay, you go off to the, to the corner. We don't need to find an answer to this right now. That's the thing. When monkey mind is worrying, usually, unless you're in, in, in the middle of a busy intersection and the bus is coming towards you, then it's advisable to move fast. But usually when you said, okay, how will... How will this unfold? Where will the money come from? Why am I in this deep doo-doo? Whatever it is, get monkey mind off into the corner and say, okay, we don't need to figure this out right now. Let's continue. Thank you, life, for showing me where to go. Mm. And then monkey mind will come back. No worries. In, in my deepest crisis, I, I send it off into the corner. I don't know, about 423 times a day. But then, okay, get back to... What are you doing? Keep doing what you're doing and keep on track. And the worries will usually, all the stuff that really worries us so much, if we take a little bit of step back and, and look at it and give it some time, there's this old saying, sleep on it a day or three day. Yeah? Oftentimes that's really, really useful advice to, to really then go and, and re-examine with a bit more distance. And we'll usually find that actually it's not as bad as we thought in the beginning. Yeah. And if it is as bad as in the beginning, get help. Yeah. I think that's what I really want to encourage everyone. You don't have to face everything alone. We, we all oftentimes have this notion, no, I have to figure this out. No, you don't. Yeah. Please get help. Love that advice. When have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? Oh, my goodness. Many times. Going out in front of, on a stage with 500 people in, in the audience. When, when I arrived first in India, I certainly felt like a fish climbing a tree. Uh, I think we often do that when we actually explore new things. Mm. And little by little, then they become more familiar and we know how to embrace the new situation and ease into it. And, and what, what comes to mind right now for me is also that I used to beat myself up why I couldn't do it perfect right from the start. Mm. And we are often so patient with other people and so impatient with ourselves. And to give ourselves this, this benefit of the doubt and say, okay, well, you're learning something new here. You're doing something that, that you haven't done before. What little progress have you made? And if that progress only was that you have tried to do it, that you thought about actually doing it, then that's already something to celebrate, isn't it? Completely, completely and utterly. And I hope that people will try some of the tips that you have given in, in this episode because they're absolutely brilliant. Oh, honestly, it's just been such a joy. And I, I know that we could go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, how can people get in touch find out more, learn about your courses. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a problem. Um, 
I, I just recently noticed that actually I don't have so many programs uh, like online courses and stuff in English. That still in development. That will be coming. Uh, most of the stuff is, in, is available in German. But copy my name, paste it into your, your favorite social media app. Uh, you'll find me there. Connect there. Or my website, of course, martinlaskolnik.at. So first name, last name, .at. And slash EN for English, uh, you'll get to my English website. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's usually the best ways. But LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. And we will put all of those in the show notes. And obviously people can follow you. And as and when you have them in English, they can reach out. And I know that you travel the world speaking. And so you're quite happy. <laughs> I'm quite happy to receive speaking requests yeah. <laughs> from well, so far. I haven't been to Australia and Oceania, but all other speaking engagements on all other four continents up to now. Well, we'll see if we can change that through this podcast. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you never know what happens. No, you don't. I'm going to think about the auto magic habit that I can create for that. Yes. Um, it just leads me to say a massive, massive thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and, and the journey that you have been on. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? Don't take everything so serious. Have a laugh. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't.